0: This is 15 Minutes with the Doctor, episode 15. Welcome to 15 Minutes with the Doctor, the 15-minute appointment, where we share powerful stories from healthcare entrepreneurs and innovators, so you can grow your idea of business. Uh Uh-huh. To say hello to your host, Dr Vinay Shankar. Dr Vinay Shankar. It's great to be at the 15th episode, thanks to all the listeners so far. Feel free to drop me a message through my website for suggestions for future shows and any particular areas you might be struggling with. If I can help, I'll get back to you, otherwise I'll direct your questions to our fellow guests or create special episodes. So, in this episode, we have Tarin, who is a chef, nutritionist and the founder of Kafudo. It's a software company which helps businesses in the hospitality or care sector easily generate food recipes, including nutrition, costing and allergy information. Learn about creating a nutrition-orientated software service, hear how the company is already profitable and their plans for growth into the health and care industry. Welcome to the show, Taryn.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay, let's kick off with You're telling us a little bit about what is Cofoodle.
1: We're a software company. We're B2B licensing. So we developed a software back in 2015 that helped businesses, whether they're in the care sector or the hospitality sector, easily generate uh, food recipes that do their nutrition, their costings and their allergens. And our long-term goal is to look at how we can use food as medicine, put food first, and start prescribing diets instead of medication.
0: So your software is primarily for restaurants, cafes. Is that your target market?
1: So we started back in 2015 targeting restaurants, bars, cafes, and actually a few pubs. And over the years, over the past two years, we've received government funding to look at using the same software with slightly different features in the social care sector. And we now work with clients such as OCS and HC1, both in care homes and hospitals, helping them manage their food the same way a restaurant would.
0: Let's say I'm a chef. How would I benefit from using your software? What does it do for me exactly?
1: So we think of our software, when I was building it, I'm a trained chef and a qualified nutritionist and I've spent quite a long time in hospitality. And when I was working with chefs, I think what always struck me was the fact that we would have Microsoft Word documents through our methods of how to do a recipe an Excel spreadsheet of how to cost it. And then we might have a few JPEG images, what the dish should look like. And we were trying to put that all into Dropbox with special codes so you could find things easy. And it was just a real nightmare and it was a very manual process. So we designed our software to behave like an Excel spreadsheet so it can immediately do all of your costings. It's can do your method, it can do your has your critical control limits, and that's all in one place. So I kind of think of it as a digital recipe bank where all your work is automated. So as a chef, all you'd have to do is log on and type up your recipe. And then the software auto generates the cost of that recipe for you, the allergens that are now a legal requirement in that recipe, as well as if you wanted to the nutrition, and then you can play with it. So depending on how creative you are or how much time you have, which is not always something chefs have, you can actually amend the recipe. So what we're trying to do is that kind of, you know, we're rolling out in catering colleges with the education side of it to kind of learn, you know, we're not really taught nutrition as chefs, we're taught to cook, but to kind of think about how reducing the amount of sugar you might put into a dish or swapping salt for some lemon or the different kind of things you can do to make a recipe slightly healthier. And that's quite visual and quite easy to do on the software instead of kind of hours of playing on Excel spreadsheets.
0: Before your software was developed, it seems unusual to me that there was no software available on the market to bring that business side of things to the creative side of cooking. So before your software, this didn't exist at all in any form?
1: It did. So there are different systems that were kind of built in the 80s and 90s. But the thing is, with those softwares, some of them are really, really good for what they do. But a lot of them are used by multinational hotels and the emphasis was always a lot more on costing your recipe. So if you think the rise of healthy eating nutrition and even food allergies have increased so much over the years, there wasn't a kind of affordable, easy-to-use system that could do what we did that the average restaurateur could afford.
0: I guess for you the key point was when the EU rules were developed, which you've touched on in 2014 where restaurants and cafes and anyone creating food have to list certain amount of some key allergens which are in their foods i picked up somewhere that 8% of children and 2% of adults have some sort of food allergy or intolerance and i guess that's something unique that your software is doing that others weren't before yeah.
1: I think that's why we do work with a lot of schools, because you're right, it is 8% of children who, thank God, do grow out of a few allergens. And it's kind of just that communication. So, you know, it is that worried mum at home who's not 100% sure what's on the school's canteen menu that day, that might just want to be able to have a look online at the menu, sorted by what contains peanuts, and be able to tell her child what they can eat at school that is safe for them.
0: So there is a user app as well that consumers have that they can look at to see, which allergens are in there
1: yes there is i mean our consumer app is very much a proof of concept so the way we like to use our consumer app is to show potential schools or restaurants or big contract caterers how easy it is for their information to be accessible to customers without them knowing what the whole recipe is originally when we started this a lot of people were a bit unsure of whether People would be able to see their recipes or they were worried about losing all of their IP, so to speak, around the food they cooked. So the reason we kind of built the consumer app was to show people that that functionality, whether it's in their app or our app, makes consumers happier and more comfortable eating their food.
0: Right. OK. I think it's very interesting what you said earlier. how People are a lot more health conscious about their diet and things that they are eating. And I think the user app is really very specific for individual diner requirements. So for example, I entered, I wanted a 500 calorie meal with 25 grams of protein, and it was looking for restaurants or meals that are around the area which could provide that. How or what market research did you do that told you that this is what people wanted?
1: To be honest with you, we actually didn't. We very much came at it from a business angle of, I knew that my chefs were having a real problem, costing out their menus, and basically working out the allergens and nutrition and all of that. As an outcome of having done all that work, we kind of naturally evolved to, well, why wouldn't you tweet about your healthy salad that was under 500 calories? Or why wouldn't you tell someone that you had a gluten-free menu? And then you kind of started to look at the stats around the amount of people opting for gluten-free menus, opting for healthier choices. We were definitely at the kind of curve of quite a big trend Towards healthy eating, this became apparent, and then I think our biggest validation was when we did release the app that we never done any marketing on. Is the amount of downloads we got and the feedback we had that this is what people were looking for.
0: And how many downloads did you get
1: initially? So over the course of the first, it's, it's just on. I mean, it's not a lot in big terms, but with people not knowing that we existed, we got two thousand downloads in the first ten days. Okay. Which just meant there were literally people going onto the app store looking for something that could tell them where to eat
0: so that's without any market research without any marketing
1: so with no marketing i mean we did some market research as to we knew what the laws were and we knew that consumers i mean my co-founder's husband has a severe sesame allergy so that was our kind of market research of You know, how easy is it for people like him to eat out? And so in hindsight, we actually did do quite a lot of focus groups with people about what would they want to have available at their fingertips. We were aware that we were playing in a B2B, we're a B2B product, and now we're b to c but we weren't a B2C product. We didn't actually do a lot of consumer-facing exercises. All of our kind of focus groups that were more with chefs and people within the hospitality industry.
0: Did you use the income, for example, generated from your B2B to fund the B2C work?
1: So we do. But I mean, if I'm honest with you, we still don't do any B2C work. We still just work with our main clients, our contract caterers, care homes, and people who serve food. We don't have a B2C offering as such. We will in years to come, especially when we launch prescription diets and our domiciliary care app to be used by people at home. But at the moment, our concentration is still on selling our software to businesses, not on getting people to download our app.
0: In how many locations is Cafoodle currently being used? Do you have a rough figure?
1: Yeah, so at the moment we're being used in over 2,000 locations.
0: Okay, wow. How does Cafoodle generate income? Is it a monthly charge to the B2B users or is it a subscription model?
1: It depends on the client, to be honest. So pubs and bars will still pay us. A monthly subscription because they're using the software every day, whereas a bigger contractor in a hospital will pay a kind of annual maintenance charge that just allows us to keep the software up to date and all the data clean for them. So we have two different business models that kind of equate to an easy subscription licensing fee, whether it's paid annually or monthly.
0: So if I was a small restaurant, how much would I be looking to pay roughly a year?
1: So the software starts at £40 a month, and we do a discount for the years. That's £400.
0: Okay. So considering how much time you could potentially save, that's not a huge investment.
1: No, not at all. I mean, to be honest with you, the cost isn't a huge investment, it's the time. And, you know, it is kind of moving all of your recipes off Microsoft Word or Excel spreadsheet onto a software. So we always say to people, you know, the cost is actually the least of your worries. It's the fact that you do need to take the time to actually set up the software and use it properly, which often takes a lot. You know, time is money.
0: Yeah, of course. Are you able to give us a figure for turnover over the last year or or how much the company has grown since it was first launched?
1: So we only started commercializing our software in 2016 because we spent most of 2015 developing and beta testing it. And this year we would have just under £300,000. So it's not been a huge growth, but we were currently on track to kind of double that next year, which is the growth that we're looking for. I think this year has been more about getting our key clients and getting our strategy right of where else to whom and where is our software most valuable.
0: Sorry, you said gross 300000 which is pretty good for just starting less than two years ago.
1: Great. Well, that's good to hear. I do, <laughs> kind of, I do think sometimes we surround ourselves in this tech environment, which can be quite misleading because you always read about all the unicorns and what everyone's doing in America.
0: Yeah, I think it's very difficult to start a software business and to be profitable in the first few years is in itself a good achievement. Thank you. I wanted to touch on Cofoodle Care, which you mentioned earlier that you obtained a government grant for. And I understand yes. that specifically for care homes. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yes, we... Yeah got an Innovate UK grant back in 2015, which we started building the product in 2016. And basically what that idea was is restaurants and care homes, they're both commercial kitchens, right? So it's quite easy. However, care homes have nutritional targets for their residents. They have protein targets that certain residents have to hit. They have specific dietary requirements, hydration levels. So the reason why we took that grant and have worked on that grant is it was about making our software slightly more robust so mm-hmm. it could really support care homes in feeding their residents better. So what our software does is it allows you to record what a resident's eaten and suggest what a resident should be eating and match it to their medication, their condition, and what the dietitian or community dietitian has specified they should be eating or what their GP thinks and then it does that all into dashboards so that the gp the dietitian their family members their carers can all have access to it to see how that person is doing whether it's their bmi their hydration their muscle stalk scores, so that they stay healthy in the long run and hopefully by 2018 when we finished our grant and are able to commercialize the product we can start to look at the data so our system will have artificial intelligence in it that will actually be able to start to suggest to care homes what the most optimized meal plan is for that care home based on their specific location and what their residents need. So ideally what that is done is that then helps the chef auto-generate what he should be serving his residents. So all he has to worry about is the cooking rather than trying to spend weeks designing a meal plan that feeds the residents.
0: Was something like this not happening already or are people in care homes served what's on the menu? Is is this type of, unless there's somebody ill, most people in care homes don't often see a dietitian. So I presume they are served what's on the menu?
1: Yes, and they still are. But what our software does is it actually takes what's on the menu, because often there will be choices, and then says what is the best option for them to eat. Right, please. okay. I understand. And also what it does is a diet. So what we're doing is we're dietitians are being able to see more people because it's just a digital dashboard. Mm-hmm. So a dietitian can log in and see what's happening with that person, but also the family. So it's as simple as the family being able to say, listen, you're serving my mom fish and chips on a Friday, but actually my mum doesn't eat white fish. She only eats salmon. It's kind of, I like to think of it as a bit more of a feedback loop where you have more people getting involved in personalized care. Mm -hmm. So... We're not trying to give the chefs more work. It's more about, you know, knowing not to give my dad coffee at 4 p.m. in the afternoon because he only drinks tea.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And quite often what we see is when people have been moved from long term stays in hospitals into care homes, Mm. there's been a misunderstanding as to what their preferences are, what their likes are, what their habits are. We're not trying to create more work. But in the long run, it could be as silly as someone doesn't eat breakfast. So, we can save the care homes money by saying, you know, you keep sending out a full English breakfast at 8 a.m. every morning, but they actually prefer to have a sandwich at 10 a.m. And A, that'll increase that resident's nutrition, but it'll also stop the care home from food waste.
0: I think another big area is that a lot of care home patients are often on oral nutritional supplements, so the powders and the sip feeds, and they are obviously quite costly and not beneficial for the patient in the long term. It's much better to get a normal diet as possible, and and this system would enable that monitoring of how much they are having and then when a more accurate view of when those supplements can be stopped.
1: Exactly, and also what what to fortify, because so often in a care home, when they fortify food, they'll fortify every single meal. Mm Mm-hmm instead of just saying, well, actually, this person only needs their lunch fortified. So we're quite interested in um, that time tracking, because it is about, you know, we are sort of human beings. Some of us prefer to have a bigger lunch and a smaller dinner. It's kind of, if you can tailor that, I think, A, care homes can save money, which is what's key to them in the current climate. But also, you'll have people eating better. And as you say, we can reduce the amount of supplements they need, which will also save the NHS money.
0: You could roll this out to hospitals and more healthcare organisations with time.
1: Yes. So at the moment, we do have a few hospitals but we would like more. We have some care homes. Once again, we need more. And we're also now rolling out with schools and actually a lot of corporate canteens and contract caterers. So it's not just the elderly. It's also, you know, diabetes is affecting us younger and younger. There are people who are in corporate environments eating from the staff canteen every day mm-hmm. that do want to know what's the best option. They almost want to create their own meal plans for themselves based on the food that they eat from the canteen, for instance.
0: Yes, of course. I'd like to finish by asking you what's been your biggest challenge so far in developing Kofoodle?
1: So I think originally for me, it was the fact that I'm not a techie. I've grown up in hospitality. I've always been very much a people person, I suppose. So I think understanding from myself as a founder and a CEO, the toughest thing was probably changing my mindset. From being, it must be similar to doctors in A and E, but I came from an industry where everything happens that night or that day. If someone wants a drink, they get it within five minutes. Technology is very much very detailed, very scope oriented, takes time. You know, nothing in tech really happens in under. I mean, if you do a two-week sprint, great, but realistically, most development takes three months. So for me, it was A, hiring the tech talent that I trusted and could rely on, and then also having getting a better understanding of how software and technology works and how those kind of companies are built and how the product is built was probably my personal biggest challenge. And I think as a software tech startup in London, funding and keeping key tech talent was very, very tough for us.
0: What would be your advice for somebody who's having similar
1: challenges? Personally, I would say that as a non-tech founder, you do either need a very, very strong, if you kind of build a tech company, you need a very, very strong tech advisory board, or you need to get a technical founder on board. If you kind of want to develop a state-of-the-art, very good software company, I would say that it's definitely of value to find a decent chief product or a chief technical officer that you trust that has skin in the game on making sure that the product works.
0: Thank you for those thoughts. So, where can people learn more about Cafoodle or get in touch with you?
1: Our website is www.cafoodle.com. We're on Twitter as at cafoodle. And my email address is Taryn, which is T A R R Y N, at cafoodle.com.
0: Excellent. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat. Thanks for listening to listen 15 Minutes with the Doctor
0: www.VinneyShankar.net slash 15 minutes with the doctor Uh uh-huh Dr. Vinney Shankar Uh uh-huh Dr. Vinney Shankar